Hello, my name is Michaela, and I'm the host of the Be The Light podcast. I wanted to let you know that the audio in this episode is not as great as it typically is, and I apologize. I left the door open to the recording studio and messed the audio up, and I'm terribly sorry. Despite the audio mess up, I did enjoy the interview and the And Amy Miller as an interviewee was wonderful. And I wanted to share this episode with you. However, I am so sorry about the audio. Hi, my name is Michaela. Welcome to the Be the Light podcast, where we interview people who shine the light of Jesus in a secular world. This episode is a very special episode for two reasons. The podcast is officially a year this month, and May is Mental Health Month. And today's interviewee is Amy Miller, who is a mental health advocate. She's also a prominent figure in the Forest Hills School District and helps the community with her organization, Nine United. On top of her all, all her efforts for students in Forest Hills, Amy is also a leader at for the high school ministry at Horizon Community Church. Hello, Amy. Could you tell us a little bit about your story? That way the listener has a little bit of background. Sure. Um, So I am um, just shy of 50. I have a 17 and 19-year-old son, Tavon. And sort of my story that I guess um, I was about seven or eight. I kind of had my first sort of anxiety, panic sort of moment. Didn't really know what it was. I had my first suicide attempt when I was just before I turned 16. Um, And when I was 27, finally got diagnosed with um, bipolar and um, major depressive disorder, uh, panic disorder. Um, And so I've kind of just tried to take my story, um, mostly to young people. I really connect with middle schoolers and high schoolers. which I know is really odd, <laughs> but uh, most people are like really. And but I, I, I just I guess I feel a huge connection um, to that segment of people, just because that's when like I knew that there was something with me that wasn't the same as everybody else. But I didn't know how to I didn't know how to express it, and I didn't know anybody else that I could express it to. So um, you know, I guess I really just try and tell my story and be very transparent with even you know 40 years later what it looks like to live with mental illness every day and that it's not a one-size-fits-all and it's not a you know I'll just take this magic pill and everything it'll be it will be fine that it's it's really a every day making decisions um, that help keep you you know, putting one foot in front of the other. And, you know, sometimes I talk about just making it through the next five seconds and sometimes making it through the next five seconds is, yay, I brushed my teeth and now I'm going back to bed. Like, you know, and just to be totally transparent that it's not like, oh yeah, I've survived. Cause I, I don't like, you don't survive mental illness. It's just something that you manage every day. Like, you know, cancer and heart disease and diabetes and all those things. Thank you for telling us that. Um, by the way, can you move the microphone just slightly towards you? Yes. Can you tell I'm a newbie? 
<laughs> That's fine. Um, uh, another chapter of your story is Nine United. Um, could you explain what Nine United is and why is it important? Um, so Nine United is a nonprofit that operates within the Forest Hill School District. And our mission um, is, is kind of multifaceted. The first part of our mission is to kind of grow this idea of student leadership um, in a way that is encouraging student-led service initiatives that benefit the students and families of the Forest Hill School District. So this idea of being student leaders to your peers um, and serving local, um, you know, being in Anderson Township. Things like going to the soup kitchen are great for some people, but for a kindergartner trying to teach a kindergartner what service looks like, soup kitchen isn't always age appropriate because there's questions that get asked and, and you know, those sorts of things. And so we wanted to start something that, that kind of implanted this heart for kids, especially in a, in a more affluent, that there really is a need where you live. And then to take this idea of like kind of building this heart for servant leadership in them so that when they go out into the world, they do servant leadership locally and build into people. And it kind of becomes this like pebble in the pond sort of idea. The other piece of it is that we truly believe that when there is, when you're in service with each other, it builds this connectedness that um, is naturally good for people's mental health. Like when you're doing good stuff for other people, it makes you feel good. And when you're doing good stuff for other people with your friends, it creates this, you know, um, and it's beyond a connectedness. Like it's, it's this sort of mission of I see the good that I'm doing and it makes me want to do more good. Um, and it just builds community. And I, you know, I think the more that we can teach kids that they can be leaders um, and how to kind of express their passions and find unique ways to get involved, I think it's really important. Um, and I would say the other, the, the last facet is that we really wanted to build something that did not have a barrier to entry because again, our kids growing up where they do, sometimes giving to quote unquote charity looks like mom and dad writing a check. Um, and there's so many non-financial ways um, that kids can be in service. And I know things like ASL is something really important to you. And we wanted to create service projects that had no academic, no physical, no um, socioeconomic barrier to entry. So, you know, you might not be the kid that can physically do something um, like collect hand goods, but you can be the kid that makes posters or helps to tape up the posters or does the school announcements, that sort of stuff, that there is a way that everybody can be involved in service. Um, and again, that's teaching that idea of service and how when they're young, so that it sort of becomes ingrained in who they are. That's awesome. Um, why, speaking of students, why is good mental health important for students? Wow. Um, 
yes, I would say first and foremost, um, there is so much pressure on kids. Um, I mean, there was a lot of pressure when I was growing up. There is such this incredible level of pressure on kids um, to perform, to be successful. Um, there are options um, that you all have these days that, I mean, weren't even fathomable when I was growing up. And so I think the idea of um, resilience, um, courage, I think being able to say, you know, as we, you know, like I know high school kids, I have high school kids that, you know, sometimes college isn't for them. So what does it look like to have the courage and the, to not be anxious about, hey, you know, I think maybe trade school's for me or, um, you know, doing an Oaks sort of a thing, like just taking different paths than just this, like what's accepted. Um, and I also think that as somebody who did, as an adult, like people finally realized like, oh, it really wasn't teen angst that's just lasted for like 12 years, that the sooner that kids can start to express what they feel and how they feel before it becomes this massive undertaking um, and so overwhelming that, you know, it just feels like this black hole that you can't climb out of the better. Um, you know, I think for, I think we do, I think we, we do a really great job of telling kids that it's okay not to be okay. I think one of the challenges is that we're having is that we are, are not learning what that can, we're not expressing and teaching them what the continuum looks like of I'm not okay in this situation or for this moment because of a test or because of college decisions or because my boyfriend broke up with me and I'm really sad versus the kid that physically can't get out of bed every day and doesn't really know why. Um, and so I think the more that we can teach students the differences between those two and that both of them are okay to need help with, but that there's different kinds of help giving giving you all a language um, that you can use to express those things I think only sets you all up for success in so many different ways growing up. <laughs> yes, definitely. In respects to um, building community and uh, kind of moving on from High school, I guess, um, just kind of step stepping into like more community. Who are three people who have been the most influential in your spiritual life? Um, so I would say first and foremost, um, Tim Selnick, who used to be on staff here at Horizon, um, has been, was, and um, even from afar, continues to be huge influencer for me. Um, he was probably one of the first in knowing him um, when I first met him. He was a non 
church person that I knew that um, talked about Jesus in a way that I had never related to before. I grew up Catholic, so I consider myself a recovering Catholic. Because um, I grew up in that day and age of like Catholicism being very guilt ridden, um, you know, much different than it looks today. But I, you know, I left the church. And so Tim was one of the first people that sort of talked to me in my late 20s um, about that's really not who Jesus is. Like, Jesus loves you regardless of your ick and your mess and your gross and whatever else. And, and, um, ironically, so my birthday is this week and, um, I was baptized on my birthday, um, on my 40th birthday and Tim baptized um, me. And then I got to in turn baptize our two kids, which was just this incredible experience because like 40 is this like major life journey in general. And so it's just, it's really, um, powerful for me in that facet. Um, there is a, um, she was one of the school administrative assistants. Now she's in our district office. Her name's Jody. Um, she has a heart for kids and Jesus that is difficult to put into words. Um, she absolutely sees the best in everybody. And she, she has such a faith. And I think that's one of those things that like when you deal with middle schoolers, primarily that's where she was, um, in the capacity that she did, she just had this way of truly being Jesus to kids that didn't even know she, like she, they had no clue that that's what she was being, that they were just like, oh, that's just Mrs. McKinley, and she's just awesome, and she just loves us all, even when we're hot wrecks. And, you know, for somebody standing on the outside, I'm like, she's literally being Jesus every single day to these people. Um, oh, I thought there was another person. They're so... I don't know. There's so many. Um, I guess the other person for me that probably, um, and I, it's been years, but when I first decided to go back to church, um, there was a pastor at the church that I went to. It was, um, it's now the big, huge vineyard in Tri-County, but it was still when it was like, you know, 60 people meeting in an old barn. Um, and his name, his name's Dave Workman. And um, I was, had just been diagnosed with bipolar and I um, at that point had survived three suicide attempts um, in 11 years and was just in this place of there is no possible way Jesus could love me like it's it's not the Jesus that I had known growing up um, and I truly could not fathom God thinking like I was okay um, because of what my mental health journey had looked like and decisions that I had made on my mental health journey. Um, and even from a stage, he broke that um, stronghold of lies on me. Like he, 
he basically, you know, I mean, I mean, he was the first person that truly made me believe like he already knew all those icky parts of you when he made you and made you anyway. And so the sooner that you can be okay with the icky parts, the better stuff's going to be. Um, and he was the first person from any sort of a religious Christian faith background. Um, I guess made me realize like, Hey, you can have a relationship with Jesus again and forever and be a mess while doing it. That that's really powerful and awesome. <laughs> um, speaking of people who give good advice, what advice would you give someone who wants to be the light? Um, I would say first and foremost, be transparent, be authentic. Um, in, in being a light, Sometimes you got to let people see the dark side of stuff, um, you know, and, and there's the, the words of Dr. King in that, you know, that light is the only thing that can drive out darkness is great in words. But then when you see a visual of it, you know, like even if you were in a totally pitch black room, the moment that you light even just the, the slightest of a flame, the darkness disappears. And, and, you know, so I think that when you allow people to feel like they can let that dark stuff a little bit out into the open because you're authentic and transparent. And so therefore it feels safe for them to feel authentic and transparent. Um, I think that that's a huge first step in being a light because I think there's also then a, um, it, it takes that judgment down, which I think sometimes we as Christians have a tendency to get judgy. Um, and I think it, it helps reduce that level of judgment of, okay, well, they're not, they're not what it looks like Christians. I think Christians to be in this judgmental sense, because like they're clearly a hot mess. And so if they're willing to talk about their hot messes, um, maybe I can too. And maybe that means that I can have that same relationship with Jesus that they, that they authentically do. But I think authenticity and transparency um, are two really important, but maybe overlooked ways. Um, I think that, that you can be the light. Thank you, Amy, for sharing your ways of being a light in a secular world. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Thank you.